Hello and welcome to another episode of 10,000 Hours. I'm Grant Spanier. And I'm Vince Kochi. And you are listening to episode 87 with ourselves. Just us. Man, what a treat. A hostful app, as we call them. And actually, man, I gotta say, it felt like we got more into it than we have in a while. I certainly agree. Not only speaking speculatively because i we i was really engrossed in the conversation i think we really like kind of dug a lot deeper than sometimes we get the chance to uh but also actually by the numbers it ended up going like 20 minutes over our typical hour like shot Mm -hmm. span so uh, we it's, it's clear that we really got our motors running yeah seriously especially when there's no i mean it was just us like we could have turned it off at any point but i think we were both so into it it was like we might as well keep going huh 100% 100% agree. And, and what were we talking about, Vince? We're talking about appeal. And wh- what does appeal mean? It's kind of that classic conversation about art. Who is it for? How much do you let people influence your art? How much do you ignore outside opinions? It became a very nuanced conversation, but at its heart, it was why does the art appeal to you? And how do you make the art appeal to others? And do you care? Yeah, and doesn't it always come back to self-awareness? <laughs> Inevitably. Maybe some uh, self-definition. Uh, I'll let you decide. But shouts out to an outlet for some of my art and for a lot of other artists. And that is Green Room Magazine. As you may know, I've been pretty intimately involved with that publication slash platform for, I want to say, almost a few years now, but uh, we've been putting out a lot of stuff we're proud of, bootstrapping a thing. It's almost really less of a business and more of just like a big outlet for creative work. Uh, And I would recommend you check out some of that creative work. Uh, We have four print issues out, and we're putting out stuff online, and that can be found at greenroommagazine.com. Thank you, Green Room, for supporting the show. Thank you, Grant, for being a part of that. I'm a big fan myself. Uh, and yes, thank you, Green Room. And thank you for the chance to do the show, listeners. We really appreciate your support. And it lets us do things like have an hour and a half conversation with each other about appeal, which is really fun. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. 87. Appeal. And this is teamwork, Vince. And this is why we're co-hosts, baby. Because sometimes one host looks at the other and he says, I don't know what to say. But he says it with his eyes. <laughs> And then the other host says, don't worry, buddy. I got you. You Enjoy episode 87, Appeal. I sort of like to think of our show as like there's a symphony playing and someone plays a note and we like yell out like great that was an awesome note c like, sharp o- over and over and over yeah i think that's <sighs> radio gods we're true radio gods <laughs> vinny grant my friend here we are again at the precipice of of one of those episodes that really just gets me fired up. And it, it's not it's not 
because I don't love talking to other people. It's we have really great guests, you know, fantastic. But sometimes, some of the best. Oh, truly, truly, world class. But sometimes I just a little selfish. I want you all to myself, Vinny. <laughs> it's flattering, uh, and I think just a little bit disconcerting. Yeah. You know what? You're right. It is a little disconcerting. I actually felt myself a tad uncomfortable when I said that out loud. But such is the opportunity uh, presented before us to to really test these ideas and to uh, hear hear yourself say them. You're sounding pretty um, theatrical today. Prof- prophetic, maybe? My, yeah, I wow, would say. Thank you. Okay, I think I'm going to switch gears because I'm like uncomfortable with the character that I was embodying <laughs> there for a moment. And you know what? I'm going to go back to good old Grant, who... Um, prides himself on his directness and his ability to cut through to the core of, of what he wants to know and what he wants to ask. For example, the way we start the show every time, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just fun to, to just jump right into it without, you know, talking too much or dancing around it or, you know, vacillating. I have to say, Oh yeah. Or otherwise vacillating, which is a fantastic word. Maybe we'll show notes, uh, the dictionary.com, link of vacillating just if you want to go look into the usage and explore that and hopefully incorporate a really it. good picture of you yeah that article, right? uh, yeah with me with a podcast mic <laughs> and a thumbs up okay Vinny, do me a favor will you tell me uh what what are you working on right now what are you putting your time into uh well i'm back at work after a brief siesta a sojourn to Ooh. chicago for five days which is a lot of fun uh, but it put me a bit behind the eight ball as it tends to happen after a vacay. Uh, so I've got both freelance and office work that's been keeping me busy. I've uh, been doing a bit of reading too, been doing a bit of uh, personal work, and uh, that's pretty much it. Busy with a little of everything, I would say. Lovely. Good spread. A good spread at the Vince Buffet. D- diversify your bonds, isn't that D- what Diversify like? your bonds. And also, side question uh, you're saying behind the eight ball. Is on the ball, is that in the same universe as the, the eight ball phrase? Is this all pool billiards references? Or? So, oh. I'm sure maybe some one of our vigilant listeners will write us in and correct me, but I think on the ball is a baseball reference, oh. whereas behind the eight ball being obviously a billiards reference. And Okay, and would you say that's a game of, is it nine ball or is it classic billiards? You know, that's a good point. I think it may be a game that even predates billiards. It might be... Um, you know, what's that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't bumper know. Pool. Bumper pool. Are you thinking of that? <laughs> also, ski ball, ski ball, ski ball. It's probably a ski ball reference and side to the aside is eight ball. What's an eight ball in drugs? Is that like a cocaine? Well, yeah. I think you have to. Yeah. I think if I'm not mistaken, or is that a speed ball? It's, it's cocaine. Uh, I think those are interchangeable words, but I am, uh, not cool enough to know being completely frank. I don't know the lingo. Ah oh, man! All right. Well, I'm I'm sure one of our fact checking listeners is is <laughs> right now writing us an email. Grant, I gotta ask. You were also traveling recently. What have you been putting your time into recently? Ah yes, and actually a siesta is probably a more appropriate word for what I was doing, which yeah, no was kidding. yeah uh, a short little uh, few days in Mexico and Cabo with uh, my family, which was fucking cool, man. It was the first vacation I've think I've taken with my my complete family, which is my mom, my dad, and my little sister. Uh, as adults, or at least as my sister as an adult, you know, I think the last time it's been years, many years, probably That's four awesome, or five man. years, something like really? that. Yeah. And it was a treat to sort of spend time together in uh, like close quarters and just like, 
I don't know. It was a cool opportunity, and I'm super thankful I did that. Even though, like, when the idea was first posed, I was, uh, I don't not reticent, but I wasn't like jumping on it. I was like, oh, well, but then I have to be away from work, and I have to do this and this and this. But then you get there, and you're like, oh, it's worth it. Of course, I'm so glad I'm here. Um, and then actually from there, it worked out really well. I went straight to San Diego, which is a super short flight. And I was shooting photos at a thing called Crossed, C-R-S-S-D, uh, music festival on the San Diego waterfront. Fucking beautiful. Uh, if you'll recall, that's actually where I met Gallant and, and shot him six months ago. So they do it uh, bi-yearly. Bi-yearly? It's so I was weird. Gonna say, I was going to say it seemed, because Crossed was very familiar to me from your stories. So I was like, is time really racing by us that fast? Oh, yeah. Has it been a year? It has not. It has been a mere six months. Um, and, uh, yeah, so actually that post is live. We can show notes of that, but uh, I was shooting it for Sea Heads, which is a cool opportunity for me just because that's, like, in the vein of the photos that I make typically. And so it's a really good outlet, and they have a really awesome audience. So that was a blast. And now I am just jamming away, man. Got some music video stuff happening again, which is super exciting. And uh, doing a bunch of death to stock stuff, making a bunch of cool stuff. I'm just, I'm hyped. Cool, man. That's awesome to hear. And let me be the first to say, I'm glad. Well, I'm, someone's probably said this to you already, but huh. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed your time in uh, in sunny Mexico. Sounds you know, funny. nobody said it. No one nobody wants. Said no, it. I mentioned it. I was showing them photos, dude. I get side note, and and sorry, listeners, this is so shitty. But I need to show you the photos from Mexico, dude. I took a bunch of photos of my family, and I'm like really excited. I was like showing them to David from Death to Stock, and he was like, "Wow, you're gonna treasure these." And I was like, "You're right. I have a bunch of film photos of my family in Mexico. It's just like cool. It's a cool thing to have." That's actually really sweet. Yeah. Um, in a sorted, sort of related side note, but in a much more kind of basic way. Uh, my friend who I was visiting in Chicago, she had a really like f- fun slash cute idea. Uh, since my phone is like completely malfunctioning piece of trash and the cameras don't work, she got me like a classic like Kodak. like Disposable? The, yeah, a disposable camera. That's oh, what. excellent. Dude, that I love that. Fun. Isn't yeah. it? Dude, isn't it uh, a liberating and like exciting and engaging activity? It is. And you know what I took for granted? You don't get to see the picture and like retake it and like perfect it. Vinny, this is one of the key reasons I shoot film. And I think we'll probably talk about this actually on the on the podcast a bit. Um, but yeah, I like love shooting film. I shot the music festival on film and uh, you can't show anyone. Nobody sees it until I uh, get it developed. I love that, dude. I really it's I mean, it seems silly to have like a disposable camera finally like have that click mentally for me but it's it's actually there is no i mean no it makes a lot of sense i don't think you would think about that unless you shot with one and then went through that experience and you're like oh oh i understand that's like a lot of things you start to understand wow i'm not man i was not trying to set this up but you start to understand the appeal of them you do you do and i i can guarantee that you weren't trying to set that up but it just so happens that you you did set it up i did set it up and it wouldn't be a ten thousand hours uh, moment if we didn't acknowledge what was happening. If we didn't <laughs> indescribably mar every single moment of smoothness that the show might hope to contain by addressing it head on. I sort of like to think of our show as like there's a symphony playing and th- someone plays a note and we like yell out like, great, that was an awesome note. C like, sharp. O- over and over and over. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's <sighs> radio gods. We're true radio gods, Vinny. 
So today, if you haven't already, gleaned. yeah, if you haven't already gleaned, uh, we got a hostful episode. We do, just so you and I. I always love these. As much uh, as I do cherish our guests, they're yeah, awesome. But. Yeah, man, it's it's nice to just chat with uh, my old pal Vinny. You're my favorite <sighs> guest, Grant. Wow. Oh, man, the blushing is real. The blushing <laughs> is so real right now. But today, Vin, we are talking a little bit about appeal. Appeal? What does that mean, Grant? Vince, that's a great question. What? Uh, <laughs> thanks for asking, Vince. <laughs> what? What got me excited about this, and and the reason we sort of started riffing about it was just, um, I think it was actually um, sparked by a gig I had uh, recently. I was DJing an after party of uh, actually an advertising awards show. Did you go to that? I was at the show. The so show, called. as they call it, yes, which is the Minnesota Advertising Awards. Um, it's it's sort of a masturbatory event, but I, it is fun. It's, it's deeply masturbatory. Yes, yes, yes. But, but I had a good time, and exactly. I saw a lot of friendly faces there, which is always nice. Totally, totally. So I was DJing an after party of that, and I was getting in a conversation with the person I was DJing it with, um, who uh, has been DJing for much longer than me. I've been DJing since maybe the summer. I've only, I would say this is my third event or outside of my home that I've DJed, and Something that I've felt from the get-go and what we weren't, we weren't arguing about, we were just sort of debating the merits of, was what, kind, what was our approach since we were both playing and like, you know, we have to kind of get aligned. And he's classically like plays a little bit more hip-hop, plays a little bit more mainstream pop music and like hits. Sure. And my approach is not that. It's, I don't want to say it's more esoteric. I don't think it's it. I think it's just more... It's like a deeper house. It's like disco, and it's not. I, I. It's doubtful. Very often, people are going to be singing along because more dance music versus you know pop pop songs. It makes total sense. Yeah, and so that really got me thinking about you know the appeal. What is the appeal? And for me, DJing the appeal and and also kind of what I want to express with that discipline is not what he was talking about and there's nothing wrong with it there's no like value judgment but it is something more specific that i'm interested in doing and it really just got me thinking about you know what is what is the balance here you know at what point am i sort of saying fuck off to the audience so and am I, and i'm being masturbatory perhaps uh and or at what point am i just pandering and doing what they think they want you know in the classic like steve jobs apple thing you know maybe they don't know what they want and you need to show them and that's kind of where i come from to a degree i think this is a really interesting conversation in two distinct ways i think firstly where there's kind of a a more mellow and nuanced conversation about why are we attracted to the forms of art that we practice what do we want to get out of them Maybe it's a motivations question. Maybe it's an aspirations question. Um, but it's why does a particular anything appeal to us as creators? The other one, the other side of the coin, so to speak, is kind of that classic grappling problem of popularity and appreciation as a metric for grading art. And when does someone, you know, the sliding scale of taste versus obstinance and you know, relating with your audience versus selling out. Like, those are two sliding scales that many different people view in many different contexts. 
Yeah, it is a complete spectrum. And, and like most things, I think oftentimes it's the third way or the middle way that is the answer. But it is, man, it is really, really tough. And I'm thinking of two specific scenarios that I've been confronted with this more. The DJ one is more recent. Um, but the other is photography, which, mm. I mean, obviously that has become a, a significant part of my work and my output and my life. Um but it's still not really like commercially something that I've pursued. I've done probably only two paid shoots. One was that tour I went on with Galant and mm-hmm. the other was a shoot for a thing called Vibes, these like headphones. And and honestly that headphone shoot was like cool. It was a cool like opportunity to test and like to see those waters, but I was not that hyped about it and it not just because it was commercial, but it was also like it was just less authentic. You know, the stuff I shoot is sort of slightly narrative, grungy, filmic, like usually female model like things. So there's just an interesting scenario there where, you know, and this is, this is, this relate, I relate to this from a career level in general, which is back when I was like doing the agency thing more, it's like, I started building what could have been or could be like an agency and I made a very, very intentional decision to, to push away from that and to like decrease overhead, decrease responsibilities to other people and focus on craft. Um, that being said, the, what I, what I want out of photography, what I get out of photography is not necessarily income. So it's like weird. Yeah. Right. No, I, that was just my, you know, gasp of agreement Mm -hmm. or of of interest Mm -hmm. yeah so it's like what am i trying to get out of this and i i do feel like people okay because the natural thing the natural pressure of of society of business of capitalism of all these things is to scale up it's always to scale up bigger 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 and uh i think people sometimes get lost in that they get lost in what they think they should do and that is to take the next step of quote unquote legitimacy. And so that's, you know, oh, I want to get paid to shoot a brand thing. I want to do this thing. But more and more, I've been talking with people and thinking about just personally, well, why do you need to make this your occupation even? You know, I don't think it needs to be if that's not what you're trying to get out of it. A lot of people, especially photographers, a lot of them want photography to be their occupation. They want it to be their life. But I just think that there's some value in sort of playing it slow and diversifying where your income is coming from. And that allows you to put less pressure on the art. And I think it actually enables you to prevent selling out. And we don't have to get too deep into selling out, but selling out really is just like kind of compromising, not even your art, but compromising what you were trying to get out of this for what someone else wants out of you or out out of the thing you're making. Yes, I, I do want to talk about selling out in in air quotes here mm-hmm. for for a bit because I think it's supremely interesting. Um, a couple things spring to mind immediately for me. I think first of all that you're right. There's a way that you can become there is a, a nirvana, a, a sort of balance point where you can become successful and stay true to the reasons why you started the craft and your personal style of completing the craft. I don't think that's unattainable, so I, I don't think it's like a, um, a, a, a choose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I think 
it would be a bit of a misrepresentation to say that there's not some level of compromise always going on between artist and audience. Mm-hmm. So, but, okay, yes, agreed. But I think that's a different, that's like a ne- the next stage of the conversation. To me, I'm still thinking about not even audience. I'm thinking about artist and client. So e- even if you're not putting that work out there, sometimes I'm just, I'm just thinking about like, what do you, I, I don't know. I, I, it's less about even the audience here. I think it's about who's paying you to do the thing. So well, I, yeah, I think that's, that's part of, I think a, a greater and maybe less um, divisive conversation. Yeah. I think as artists who need to, you know, put food on the table and pay their loans, like I'm willing to write advertisements, not because it's like, necessarily emotionally fulfilling it can be fun at times it is fun at times uh, and it's rewarding in its own ways but i definitely compromise my writing style some of my you know personal philosophies and sometimes even without like trying to implicate any clients sometimes clients that i don't agree with maybe on an ethical or economic level i still write for them mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people are in the same boat painters will do landscapes and photographers will do wedding shoots uh, not because they're less of photographers, not because they're selling out, but at the end of the day, you need to pay for your film. Yeah. Okay. You're, I mean, you're totally right. I think mo- mostly what I'm trying to say in this scenario is, okay, so you, Vince, have a profession that is sort of what you identify as, uh, and it's what you would maybe do as art outside of your work, correct? As a writer. Yes, yes. A writer. I guess what I'm just saying is that I think people get really caught up in the idea of having that identifier, their art, be their occupation. And I think it leads to, um, compromise is totally fine, but I think it leads to muddying waters that actually dilute the quality of the art that they're capable of because it becomes indiscernible and because there's compromise there, it's like less of a sacred thing. And I'm honestly not a purist about the art. Like I'm not a purist about art in general, but I do think like, I don't know, just more and more I've seen like more value out of people having a consistent gig and then pursuing their art and leaving it free of the pressures of commercialism uh, and exploring that outside of the the gig. The, but but I do want to uh, say, yeah, okay. I mean, let me start by saying I totally agree with you. Hopefully this won't cut you off too much. You're fine. You're kind fine. of flow in with your train of thought. But I would say that I don't necessarily agree with drawing a distinction at commercialization, I think followership and notoriety and even in the most basic way, appreciation from your fandom is not fundamentally different than monetary compensation. Hmm. That's really interesting. And so my my question would be, uh-huh. you can sell out for your fans. You can become, even if it's not a com- commercially driven decision, you can change your style and your art. You can sacrifice it even for what people are appreciating. And this can scale all the way down just to the decisions you make in your own day-to-day life. But in terms of art, if you maybe you're a man who draws circles for a living and you love drawing circles, and then one day you're playing around and you draw a square and everyone loves the square you drew, and now you start drawing squares and you get a bunch of likes or shares on Twitter, but you're not really fulfilled. I think that even though there's no money changing hands, that's kind of the same principle, right? 
Yeah, you know, it, that's absolutely right. Social capital, it's a different form of capital, but you're completely right. And so when does when does staying true to your vision become just being insular about feedback and being obstinate about evolving your craft? That's what I want to know. Oh, man, that, that's a fantastic question. And it's like, uh, like most nuanced things. It's not simple. I don't think we can reduce it fully. But I, I do think this comes down to motivation and comes down to authenticity. And there's a balance, like all things. There's a balance. I do feel like I appreciate feedback, but I also value the feedback and I weigh it more heavily from like an inner circle, I would say. Um, and actually I was just having a conversation, uh, with one of my roommates about feedback and we were laughing because, so Seaheads just posted the, like a few of my photos from that weekend and they have a big audience. So it's so fucking funny to watch people react to stuff. It's mm -hmm. like, I like love it. It's so funny to me. It's a lot like, uh, a couple of the music videos I've done have, have like a big audience. You know, that one Vasky video, it's like somewhere between a million and two million views that's just naturally a lot of eyes and there's going to be a feedback but to me there's not a whole lot of learning going on and i i think there's too much weight potentially put on quantifying you know whether that's likes, shares whatever i do think there's some value and I, I think you sort of have to like learn to sift through it yourself but that's the same as like you know, being a creative person, and especially if you work in like an advertising or like this industry as an industry, you get used to feedback and you see notes and you start to have a sense of what notes are good, what notes are bad. And that's sort of a barometer that you have to decide on. But I just think, I think ultimately, you know, and maybe this is just my kind of misfit, like, uh, like rebel in my head, I consider myself that, you know, I'm not even saying it's accurate, but that attitude where I say, if you put too much weight in what other people think you should do, you lose your voice. And I think developing your own voice is ultimately the most, uh, interesting and ultimately productive thing you can do as if you want to be an artist or a quote unquote creative. Man, I've been saying quote unquote a lot recently. <laughs> it, I it, mean, it, I haven't really noticed it, but it does sound like something both of us would say. Yeah. I like to I like to do the air quotes and then say that I did the air quotes. It's so, sort of the same premise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and we both kind of text based, you know, we both like to read and like to write. So, it, you know, it's just our way of adding that uh, little layer in the audio format. But the point the point being, I just I, if I'm going to compare it to, okay, there's t two things. We started talking about DJing. We started talking about photography. One, I think with DJing, and this is something that I learned as I got deeper into this and I started to explore more music was that my perception of what a DJ was and what a DJ did, uh, was very simple compared to, I think the opportunity that is there and, and, and what actually happens. And for me with DJing, I think that I can play people something that they couldn't because I've done my homework and I've put in my time on on listening to a lot of music, exploring that, experimenting with mixing it. I think I can give them an experience that they could not possibly tell me they wanted. You know, it's so to me, I think it, giving them the pop hits and giving them the mainstream stuff, I think maybe there's maybe what I can learn and maybe the third way for me here or the middle ground is to 
uh, find a way to give some of that in order to make what I'm trying to do more accessible. But the reality is, I think I can make a better overall experience for them by sort of not listening to them because I don't think they know what they want. Um, that's just one case, though. That's not every case with an audience. Let me just say, talk about photography then for a second. Photography, it's less even about the audience. I don't, here's the thing, Vince. I shoot photos for me. I really do. And I don't DJ for me. I DJ for other people. So I need to keep them in mind. But I'm putting them at the fore here. I'm saying I think they will enjoy themselves more if if they do a trust fall into my arms and let me try and take care of them. Because they're, they're ultimately my audience. I give a shit about them. With photography, honestly, it's more about the experience of shooting. And this is why I elevate film over digital, just generally, and not completely, but because it's a better experience for me. And the whole process is better. It's more exciting. I'm more engaged. It's actually less like modification in post. I, I, I don't edit. I don't edit my film photos. They come out, I expose them, I edit them before I shoot them, you know? And so it's like a more contained experience and then it's just better. So I don't really need feedback on my photos. And what I'm saying is if I'm going to be commercial with my photography, I can, I can kind of no longer say that I don't need feedback or want feedback because I'm telling them or by taking the gig, let's say that this is for them and it's no longer for me and I can still do that. But the question is, do I need to? Why, why do I need to? If this is working just fine for me, I don't need to compromise it. So that's why I'm saying there is a slight compromise in that scenario. So I think you've really well illustrated the part of the conversation that motivations can really simplify this debate, if it is a debate, mm -hmm. and that it it really does become, I mean, not to make a photography reference joke, but <laughs> somewhat black and white when you when you know why you're doing something so concretely. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would agree with that assessment 100%. If you're doing something for you, for your own indulgence and appreciation in the art, well, then the the matter is settled as far as you're concerned. Do it the way you want it and how you want it and only let your own personal internalized feedback guide the craft. Yeah, and the thing is with that, Vince, especially for, I, I consider myself very early in my photography career. You know, I haven't been shooting that long. But if I start to compromise it, I'm saying compromise, which is loaded, but I do consider it a compromise. If I start to try and compromise that by taking too much direction, too much, if I commercialize it, if I do whatever, then I may be compromising my, like, the lifespan of my artistry in photography because you and I both know that long term, if I'm doing what I truly love and, and I'm I'm consistently following my intuition and my eye with photo stuff and I don't let it get blemished, then people will respond to that and the right people will hire me to do something. It's I think it's just about patience with that. I, I think people are too quick to jump to a legitimizing move and, and I just think that's why I'm saying that's the opportunity. I'm reminded, I'm sure you've seen it, the, it's, a, it's a modern classic, um, and it was certainly uproariously popular a couple of years ago, uh, Exit Through the Gift Shop. I'm oh. reminded of this film. Interesting. Why? Uh, well, I mean, the, the main, the kind of the hidden uh, star of that documentary is Terry Gaeta. Mr. The, Brainwash. Uh, Mr. Brainwash. And the... the, the the telling of this story is kind of how he skipped what in his eyes was an unnecessary but has 
appeared in the street art community to be a very necessary part of being an artist, which is honing your craft. Yeah. And he went straight to hyper popularity. And it's something that a lot of the people that were involved in his rise to fame resent or detest, not to put words in their mouth, but they basically say as much during the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I can't help but think of his story because I just watched that movie recently for the first time. Oh, cool. Um, in Good Chicago. for you. Good for you. Um, and I really enjoyed it, obviously. But I, I'm reminded of his sort of embodiment of the idea that the appreciation is the craft. Uh, and certainly there have existed artists before him that think the same way. Um, and at the same time, I'm reminded of uh, someone who I used to really enjoy and now don't enjoy anymore as an artist. Have, are you, You're familiar, obviously. Are you a fan of Kid Cudi's earlier work? Uh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of amazing formative tracks. As he changed his style and who he was as an artist, he has become wildly unpopular, I would say. His mm-hmm. his recent work is basically panned across not only his fans but also critics. So I would say these are kind of in my own mind two dichotomal standout situations that personify a bit this conversation. We have one artist who's staying true to his personal craft and letting it evolve in his own ways against popular opinion, and it basically cost him a followership. They have another guy who only cares about followership and it's treated him pretty well. And he seems for all intents and purposes, extremely happy. Hmm. I don't know what either of these mean in the greater context, but I think examining them at least abstractly might be a decent starting place to maybe try to uncover. Here's what it it, it does. You're completely right. Those are two different things and it comes back to motivations and man, I just, here, here's what I think, and maybe this is, maybe this is me trying to control. I mean, that's like I can classically like I sort of have like an OCD vibe, and uh, one of those symptoms is like control. You know, it's like, and I, I try and I try to put myself in situations where I don't have control, uh, and I think that helps me grow. But I do kind of seek control. I mean, that is like an that is like a classic human. <laughs> uh, behavior, which is, you know, we are in the unknown and like, we just, we, a lot of our behaviors are just trying to control things. So what I'm saying is what I don't want to do. And I think what I've decided is this isn't me avoiding vulnerability. This is me protecting, uh, maybe what Julia Cameron would, would call the inner artist child. And the action I'm talking about is not ceding too much power to what the audience says. Mm. And I, I just, it, not, I don't want to say the problem, but I think the reality is, especially in modern culture, there are there are just a lot of factors that come into play when we think about popularity. I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's just, there's timing, there's distribution, there's, there's so many things. I mean, I kind of don't want to go too deep into this, but it's like classic Van Gogh, like not selling his artwork while he was alive. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that with my art. You know, I think one of the great gifts is, is to engage with people who really respond to your stuff. Like that sounds really cool. I guess what I'm saying is if you, what I'm thinking is if you 
build a following, um, and I don't want to put too much too much uh, like credit in that bank account because I don't know how it's important, but I don't. It just can't be everything. Otherwise, we're just like give too much control over our own lives to what other people think. But if if you oh man, sorry, I got so caught up in that. <laughs> An, inter- an internal sidetrack that just I did I was like in my head I was like just thinking about Van Gogh like not selling anything and it's like fuck but he's a master right uh, but I just think that um, but even it, his masterhood is the product of appreciation right he I mean the funny thing about art is there is no innate level of vacuum mastery even yes there are, there are ways you could be technically and mechanically better at things than other people. But even the masters are masters because people find profound meaning in their work. doesn't matter when in or after their life they find it, but eventually it is the appreciation of an artist or of an artist's audience that elevates that artist to mastery. I mean, yeah, this is true. This is true. I maybe, maybe really what I'm focused on here is that people get, a too caught up in the idea of like not actually mastering craft and caught up in the idea of of that audience as validation of their art or of their work and they get good at building an audience even though I don't necessarily think and I'm not trying to be like stodgy about this but I just don't think that there's as much authenticity in the mm-hmm. work because it's based on what becomes popular and I'm, I'm not contrarian to like doing things that are in the culture I actually think that's a really interesting place to play if, if I put that in photo terms like there are trends that go across the photo- photography communities and I think it's or, or design it, and I think it's interesting to play in those fields but I guess building yourself up and building your work around around really what you think other people will like it just doesn't seem long term good for the longevity of your career and of, and of the evolution of your work or even just for your own happiness is my guess or my sense. I'm, I'm going to be forced to agree with you across the board. I think what's kind of revealing itself to me is maybe, and maybe this happens too frequently with our conversations. Maybe we're just insular in that way, but it really is starting to ladder pretty heavily back to motivations for me. Like, yeah, if you look at, Van Gogh, he eventually was considered a master, but I don't think that's something Van Gogh would have cared about. He was a tortured individual, so I'm I'm not going to pretend to be an, a Van Gogh expert. Yeah, but there definitely exists the type of artist that only wants to do art that he or she believes is great, and if appreciation comes from that, perhaps they'll revel in it, perhaps they'll enjoy it, perhaps they won't care at all. There's a difference between doing something that you love and hope that others love it too and doing something that you hope others love as your first and foremost goal mm-hmm. maybe it seems like really obvious just to say that now that we've said it and maybe it's meaningless to say it but I think that like it's just it's so nuanced because let's say you people like pop music people like music they can sing along to part of you can say I don't want to do that but part of you could also say, and this would still be sincere and authentic, I want to see how I can bring the way that I do things 
too popular because people like popular music. It's just a true fact about people. Mm-hmm. So you could take your spin to that. You could take your style to that. And I don't think that would necessarily be inauthentic. Totally, man. And and really what you're kind of talking about, I, you're saying it sounds simplistic and obvious, but it is good to vocalize that. You're completely right. But um, I think it's just uh, the thing is with with that it's man the train <laughs> there's the tra- just there's, there's a lot of endless so, so many things I, I i'm like scribbling away over here <laughs> okay wait so you were saying you were saying can you rephrase this you were saying that yeah basically bringing what you're doing to the people you can you can consider oh, yes. what your audience wants yeah and like you said, there are things that your audience doesn't know it wants, but there are things that your the audience isn't completely like, especially if you've cultivated a following that's like-minded, they're not going to be completely ob- oblivious. There's going to be true things that they want that you don't necessarily naturally provide. Now, you could ignore them, and I think a lot of artists do, and I don't think that's a, a bad thing, even though ignore has a kind of a negative context staple to it. But you could also attempt to expand into that space and try to do it authentically i mean absolutely okay so like audience what you have with an audience is a relationship and one of the cornerstones of successful relationships is a level of compromise and of communication um so i i think there is a lot of value in that and what i want to avoid personally and what i think the difficult and negative end of let's say like this like purist like i will give them what they do not know they want attitude is it's like can be really selfish sometimes mm. because to a degree you are so right that the lifeblood of an artist is the audience and it's i mean that's just true and i, th- I think to to run away from that is actually is potentially selfish and potentially destructive for what what you can make and what you can create because really, I mean, even for me, like mission statement wise at the end of the day, like I get excited about what making stuff might inspire in other people. And for me to get too focused on myself and what I care about, it can be like, that can be completely selfish. (sighs) Have you read the, uh, we've totally referenced this on the podcast before, right? The Dave Eggers selling out, no, I've never read it though. Oh wow! I okay. think we have shown it at once. We'll before. show. Let's show notes it again, and Vince, this time read it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's good advice. I mean, I the, mean the the th- like end like the thesis statement of it is really that like like people who tell you you're selling out are just like I don't want to say just jealous because I think I'm simplifying pretty hard what his point is, but it's it's not about selling out; it's about buying in. And mm. if you get too caught up in the idea of selling out then you're actually just like not playing in the real world in the systems that are created. That doesn't mean you can't push them. You can't expand them, but to again, get so caught up in your own world that you think you can just like, you know, you should all love what I'm doing. Do you don't, don't you understand how good this is? Fuck you. Like (laughs) then again, there are artists who have made very successful careers doing exactly that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it, the, the important thing is, if we're trying to, if we're attempting to be like useful with this conversation, I think really the thing to take away is you can be the type of person who's really insular with their art, but there may 
just be some things you can learn and improve about yourself by at least entertaining the thought of allowing your audience to influence you mm-hmm. on the same by the same token a lot of people are too eager to please because they view popularity and notoriety as uh, the be all end all metric for their craft and to some people maybe it is but i think they could stand to benefit from at least entertaining the thought that maybe you as the expert as the artist should be guiding that greater conversation totally totally there there's a shared responsibility i think if you want to be an artist though you need to it's it's almost like uh, an onus from from my perspective that you you are responsible for evolving like you're if you have all of these eyes then the opportunity is to elevate instead of uh meeting them let's just say okay if we're going to even talk about taste which is sort of a clearly subjective and uh, nuanced and soft, but let's just say taste. And I'm, I'm like using my hands right now, like leveling out. Let's just say your audience, you could give them hot dogs and ketchup and they would love it. But maybe, maybe you give them, maybe not even a steak. Maybe you give them like a really nicely seasoned chicken, even though your aspirations are to a steak. And I I apologize to our vegan and vegetarian listeners. This is not the best example. You can replace it with white potatoes versus zucchini versus, you know. Exactly. I'm just saying, I think there is the opportunity and in some ways the onus of artists to elevate taste and to elevate the level of work and thoughtfulness and the depth and... I guess what I'm most concerned about within all of this is is that pandering and it is that quick high of, oh, if I do this, I will get lots of positive feedback from people, you know? And I think I just, it's almost like I'm really more talking to artists here. And I mean, there's audience too. It's like, you know, support, like, of course, then it's like support experimental stuff, support artists taking risks. But re- I guess that is really what we're talking a lot about is like risk taking, it's extremely risky to, uh, for a few reasons. Let's say you have done something completely authentic, and it's also beloved, and it's also it gets a lot of good, positive reinforcement and feedback. There's a lot of pressure now innately to not evolve your craft. I would say, appreciation breeds patterning, and I think that's a natural human condition. And so the the fear of suddenly disappointing people who mean a lot to you because They've taken in and appreciated something you've worked really hard on that creates a, a, a two-way relationship, a connection between artist and audience. Disappointing them becomes a very real, not just opportunity cost, but emotional cost. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I can't help but think of the relationship metaphor again and what I want out of a relationship with someone. And I think what we should strive for is two, two people or two sides – of anything maybe one is artist one is this larger audience but we should elevate each other we should make each other better and i there are a lot of i see a lot of destructive romantic relationships that are actually just the parties uh, sort of appealing to maybe the not the best versions of each other and that's mm. that's actually just really disappointing it's not it's not like it's like inherently evil or bad or like doesn't mean we can't indulge each other sometimes 
but I think the opportunity as a fucking species and maybe as a society or maybe just as artists is to come together and let's elevate each other. And so in that elevation and in a relationship, that that means both sides have responsibilities. So on the audience side, that means you should you should try and support your artists and let's just call them your artists because you really you make them in a lot of ways but uh, if you're following along with them and you're supporting however you are you should support the things that maybe aren't easy or obvious or cliche or low-hanging fruit the the risky stuff the stuff that maybe is like not as instantly palatable and i think just supporting that in general or, or creating a space for the artists to take risks on the artist side it means being willing to sacrifice numbers or like whatever that will be. And I know you use the Kid Cudi example of like in kind of a negative way of like him losing, right? Kind of. I wouldn't consider, I, I mean, I don't know how, I don't know Kid Cudi, so I don't know how he feels about it. But basically, yeah, I think what his, what has happened to his career is not what I would call a desirable result from him. I mm-hmm. think it is something negative. I think he probably views it as something negative. Here's where I would actually <laughs> would love to get Cuddy's opinion. Maybe we'll get him on the cast. But Kid Cuddy is also someone who has consistently taken risks and done things that were not. I mean, I, I don't know, man. I really respect that guy. He was like, he didn't do great on Comedy Bang Bang, but he was on Comedy Bang Bang as the band leader last year. I mean, he's one man, but. Are you, did you know that? I had no idea, actually. Yeah, so that, that's, fascinating. that's a really weird gig to take. That's a strange... I mean, he was on the show once, and like that was already sort of strange. Like It was sort of an alternative move, and I really respected that. But a lot of my favorite comedians, too, like I, I think... And, and this is now, I guess, just getting into the subjectivity of my opinion on artists that I am attracted to. It's people that can play in the mainstream, which is so cool. I I actually used to be a little bit more negative on that as if it was selling out. I don't think it's selling out. I think, I think, but having the range to play in the mainstream and then go do something very alternative that has a much smaller audience, that to me is like, what's the coolest. So again, this almost kind of comes back to like knowing what you want to get out of something. And if if your goal is mainstream acclaim for X thing, and maybe even, let's just say you're a producer. I've been thinking a lot about that because I've been like working on a lot of music stuff and I'm still super early in that. And the questions of like, who am I as an artist in this discipline or what do I want to be, you know, are constantly echoing. And it's like, I don't know. It's really cool to see like Diplo and Skrillex like make fucking gigantic music, but then go also have other projects that are like, smaller or like more nuanced or like just less mainstream. And so I guess I, I'm almost pleading to, I'm not even pleading so much to the audience to support the riskier stuff. Cause I think the audiences do when it's there, but it's almost more just like, Oh, Hey artists go take risks and like be diverse and, and find range. And then, and then hopefully try and take that to maybe your mainstream stuff or, or just generally elevate things, man. I can't, I want to show notes this cause it's such a weird project that I come back to over and over. Um, the singer from Moldy Peaches. Do we know her name? I'm not familiar. I'm not even familiar with Moldy Peaches, though. Okay. Um, you know Juno, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, she's like, she did the soundtrack. It's like, just a super unique voice. Um, she has a project called The Uncluded with uh, Aesop Rock. Do you know Aesop Rock? Not Aesop yeah, Rocky. Aesop Rock is a rapper. And uh, 
it's so fucking weird. They both have really unique voices, and it's just quirky and, and experimental, and I don't think they have a huge audience. But whenever I've showed someone that, they're like, wow, this is so cool. And it's just fucking cool that they took that risk, they did the thing, and, and hopefully they got out of it what they wanted, but like they went for it, and they like did that, and now they moved on. And they both have other successful careers. So I, I, I don't know, man. I just... I, I guess I really just want people to like experiment more and and pander if you have to somewhere, but push yourself in other places. Uh, I mean, you, it's so well summarized. I think two quick points before we jump into a not that distant change of topic. <laughs> but a yes it's important to because we're kind of talking about it because it's, it necessitates a better discussion to kind of really dissect it and polarize the conversation but in the end it doesn't have to be that polar mm-hmm. you can maintain and many artists in fact some might say the truly successful artists all do they they balance it they do stuff their fans love and ask for and kind of as a gratuity to them mm-hmm. they'll do mainstream things and they'll do big wide appeal you know pieces or collaborations etc but they also they're artists they are seeking to push the boundaries of their own art and that's what keeps them good keeps them relevant that's what keeps their intimate fans really involved oh man absolutely and and where does a, a lot of that come from man it comes from i think some consideration i was gonna say thoughtful consideration of like what you're trying to do and what you want to do i also though think it's actually sometimes less thoughtful and more just intuition or like I agree. activity but yeah you know i think like, it's even subconscious exactly place, but so, yeah i was just listening to and maybe we show notes this too because it's fantastic but sasha baron cohen has an episode on mark maron's podcast wtf um, i saw that i didn't listen to it yet man but. i'm maybe two-thirds through and i it's it's so cool and sasha baron cohen is fucking fascinating a but b he's Almost like less aware. He he starts talking about how uh, he feels like the English are like less self-aware than maybe Americans, and it's more just like they're just like sort of acting and or like not acting. I mean, they're just sort of like behaving, and they're not thinking about like who they are and why they are and those things as much. And he he almost says it not in like a negative way because it sounds like he's like valuing self-awareness but he's just like this is the reality of like our culture and uh he huh. he like doesn't completely it just it's kind of cool because he's just like not over analyzing his comedy and what he's doing and uh, i think sometimes that can lead to a more just i mean authentic representation of a thing because you're less like you're not filtering it as much it's less intentional yeah. yeah i man that's fascinating i have to listen to that because it's on, I'm a huge Cohen fan, and it also sounds genuinely interesting. Yeah. And the other point that I was going to make actually dovetails into this week's off-topic topic nicely, which is kind of a disingenuous name this week, maybe. But yeah. it's that you you landed on the fact that the audience is part of a 50-50% relationship. And I think a lot of audiences – don't always realize and it's it's not incumbent upon them to do it because as someone who's consuming art you should be enjoying it first and foremost that's your one true job as an audience member is to consume and enjoy but yeah you can you can enjoy it better and you can help improve the art that you support and love by working hard at consuming it by i would say doing your due diligence dissecting it and like you said, supporting the stuff that's maybe riskier to support or at least 
giving it a chance. Oh, absolutely. I mean, dude, if you want to be respected, you have to earn the respect. You can't just expect someone to hand it to you. And if you don't want to be treated like an idiot, then like support artists who don't treat you like a child, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and, and that just requires effort on your part to dig a little deeper to, to go, you know, and just, so I, I think, I think hopefully things, it does seem like because of the availability of content and instant access to everything, certainly the level it seems to, or the, the water seems to have risen on the quality because of just quantity. But I do feel like sometimes there's like sort of this, like you were saying, you know, above all, they should uh, consume and enjoy, but still like have some respect for content creator. And I think even just like thinking of that, them as human without breaking down the like wall of like maybe fiction, especially if you're enjoying something fictional. I just think like giving them a little bit of credit for not pandering and not doing the obvious thing. I think that makes you a better audience member. I completely agree. And it is, it spins off into this week's discussion, which is reading habits. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So us as uh, two people who do love to read and I'll give a quick shout out to myself. <laughs> oh um, God. <laughs> I used to be someone who really was embarrassed by the fact that I didn't read very much. And uh, I, that's still true in a way. But it's been something I've been really intentional about improving. And it's one of the few things I've actually followed through Fuck with yeah, in man. my life. So I've been reading a lot more this last year. And it's, it's been a really it's been fun to rediscover the joy of reading. But you have been an avid reader the whole time I've known you. And so what I think would be interesting is to discuss uh, how we read and appreciate the uh, artists mm-hmm. that we enjoy. Dude, uh, aside, respect. I'm glad. I'm glad you followed through with that. I mean, we talked about that on the podcast. I don't know how long ago was it. Like maybe we were talking about like resolutions or like. Yeah, I think it was. It was 2015. Yeah, yeah. You were saying I was like a thing. I'm glad you're making that a priority. I I think uh, with things like that, like committing to things, it's almost less of like what you think the thing is or what the value is. It's more about just like if you follow through with something, you become more confident because you have more faith in yourself and you just realize, Oh wow, I am capable. Hey, I committed to this. I did this good for me. And it's just like a good thing. It's a good exercise, a good habit to get into. So fuck yeah, Vince. Hey, thanks man. Um, yeah. So I was just in Mexico and I was on vacation and fuck yeah, man. I was like, what I love about a vacation like that. And I haven't taken one in a long time is I just consume books, you know, in a way that you can't, I just literally, cannot do that in my daily life because I will spend like six or so hours like reading during a day. That's insane. (laughs) That's amazing. That's the best dude. I like, wow, what a treat that just harkens me back to my childhood, which Mm was a lot of that, a lot of reading. But, um, yeah, I think I've, I've gotten a lot better about, uh, an active reading habit and it was, uh, it wasn't just spurned by the vacation. It's just, dude, if you spend any time reading, you'll, you realize like, like a, an actual book, something that like you're trying to read, not like an article online. I think you, you realize like, wow, this is like changing the way I'm perceiving things. This is evolving me in some ways. This is making me feel 
smarter, even if it's not like, you know, tit for tat going like, oh, I'm smarter now because I read a hundred pages, but you just are more engaged in like ideas and your brain is like firing and, uh, good prose, good writing will just get you hyped. So I think having a reading habit is so fucking valuable. I mean, the next, yeah, it is. Yeah, totally. I do. I do want to like maybe unnecessarily caution against the sort of, uh, deification of the written word as a, as a consumed media. I think, I mean, it goes without saying. Now, it's, it sounds almost, like, stupid to point it out, but, like, just because it's reading doesn't make it a better medium than maybe watching television or what. There can be amazing and... and But, okay, yes, yes, yes. You're, you're correct, Vince. Here's what I will say, though. I think the way that we've started to consume, I think it, it by the very nature of the medium, forces the audience to be more engaged yes, and forces yes, them to fire true. up things. And so I think it's so, so fucking easy, Vince, to turn on the TV, to turn on a movie. And most people I know, uh, and I'm not saying that they are worse off for it necessarily, but a lot of people are doing the second screen thing. They're not engaged. And what I like about the written word in, in a book form is it forces you to be completely engaged. If you're on your phone, you can't be on your phone while you're reading. No, it's not possible. It's impossible. Right. Yeah. So I just think there's a lot of value in it's kind of like going to a movie theater. It's the equivalent of going to a movie theater versus watching at home. I think if you go to a movie theater and watch a movie, that's the same as reading a book. It's hugely valuable. It's an engaged activity. Mm. Yeah. So so this yeah. is interesting to me because I, I've got two, I think, semi semi straw man counterpoints to oh, bring up. All right, that all right. I'm guessing that we can knock down or maybe we won't. Sure. <laughs> One is... What do you, where do you stand on audiobooks in this case? A passive form of shrug, reading unshrug, where it is more possible to distract yourself theoretically. I mean, I'm an avid podcast listener, and it all, it all depends on what sort of uh, audience or consumer you are. And if you're an engaged consumer, you will get more yield out of the thing you are consuming. So <laughs> if you're not paying attention to the audiobook, you're going to get less value. I, right, I, right. I guess it was less of a question about, like, should audiobooks exist? Yes. I, I mean, it's not yeah. like audiobooks are bad. They're just an, sure, I, another it, convenience. Dude, I, I, I think you consume them. Um, I don't, but I was actually very close to... Uh, purchasing one recently, but it's fucking like $22 or something. I could do this Audible free trial or something, which I might do, but it's a, uh, what is it? Life of Kids or something. And it's, a, or we're just kids. I don't know. It's uh, the Patty Smith uh, autobiography that David mm. from Death to Stock was really high on, was telling me I should listen to. Oh, I, I think, I think in these situations, it's actually more authentic and more interesting and nuanced and layered uh, to listen to an audiobook, especially. Uh, if the author or the subject is the one reading it, like there's so much intonation and context that can come from their voice. It's fascinating. I think that's amazing. I, I, yeah, I think other times though, it's, it could be, it could be just kind of a cop out from reading. And I think they're different. They're different things, man. They're, they're so different. I actually, and I think if, if I were more of an avid nonfiction reader, it would be my stance on this would soften significantly, but I really do not, care for audiobooks yeah to yeah. me it a lot of the and maybe it's narcissistic but maybe a lot of the joy of consuming a book is the cadence which with which i read it and i can 
during exciting parts, I can read it faster. During contemplative passages, I can read it over and over. I think that tactile, which will lead me to my next question, that tactile element is extremely important to me as in a way that I consume books. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I know you're about to go into your second uh, thing, but it's also the it's a different medium. And so yes. it's different. It's just straight up different. But I think of um, a book that I read during my vacation, which got me so ignited in general, was uh, Consider the Lobster. Um, and it's just a collection of essays from David Foster Wallace. Mm. I mean, talk about layers. The fucker has... <laughs> Dude, there was one instance where I just... Well, I laughed out loud so often when I was reading that. He's, he is an incredibly thoughtful reader, or excuse me, writer, and... Uh, he goes into the la- so many layers, so many sub layers, and footnotes with sub footnotes with sub footnotes. There was <laughs> one instance though where there was a half a page of actual, you know, layer one narrative. The footnote extended the second half of page one and the full page two. <laughs> That's insane, and the That's writing is so small. Yeah, it's, yeah, but it's incredible. It's like. It adds these like layers to you know. It's just nuance. It's detail. It's fucking beautiful. It's playing with the medium. It and is. It is. We have to. And I think a big part of appreciating literature is your ability to immerse yourself in the writing style and make it your reading style. Yeah, man. Um, so I, I, dude. Quick, uh, quick aside on this. This is something I've been thinking very strongly, especially after reading that. And I kind of uh, was coming to terms with being a completist. Like, I feel like I need to finish the thing that I start. But I don't think everyone needs to finish the thing they start. But I think the truth is, there's a lot of nectar at the end of that journey. And I think, like for example, if you were to read Consider the Lobster or David Foster Wallace and not read the footnotes, it seems like you're missing out on a lot of context. And mm-hmm. a lot of layers that like don't give you the complete picture, and I think the complete picture is like what we should be after to a degree. I I think a lot of people owe it. I mean, everyone owes it to themselves to try at least. And a lot of times it's intentionally ambiguous, but to try to put yourself in the shoes as much as you can with limited context and information of the author, and try to read. What they've written as a complete piece, as a complete piece. Totally, man. Uh, where do you stand on reading a physical tactile book versus reading an ebook? I feel like you have to know where I stand on this. I, I, I'm not saying you're just like posing it. <laughs> as you're... someone who's moved, helped you move literally dozens <laughs> of boxes. Of thank you, books. Vince. Dude, thank you. Side note. Shouts out to Vince for helping me move. That is one of the most nightmarish um, requests one could make of a friend. And it's, man, what a, what a great exercise in testing one's relationship. <laughs> you the, always make it easy, man. It's uh, I, tr- I try, although, like, we don't have to go too far into this, but the last one was pretty rough. It, and, it, was, a, it was not an... It wasn't seamless. It was not seamless. But, uh, yes, I have lots of books, lots of physical books, and I, I love them. I, I fucking love books. So I just haven't done the e-reader thing. Again, it's the same as, like... The reason I wouldn't, there's, it's nothing inherently wrong with, and I don't even think, like, I'm not, like, right, but just for me, it's the same reason I wouldn't watch a movie probably on, like, an iPhone or an iPad or something. It's (laughs) It's because these things represent something else to me, and so I'm not fully engaged in the ritual of reading or in the ritual of, of the medium or the context. And so I think, 
uh, me having physical book, it creates a space for me to be fully engaged. And it's just like something so joyous about it. It's on, uh, not unlike sort of shooting film. And I'm honestly not like some purist for the old way you're of not, things. You're not. I can verify. Yeah, this. I'm like it's very. Uh, yeah, but it's you frequently. But. but it but it is to say, oh, like there is value in having a specific thing or ritual around this, and I'm instantly in the headspace and ready to consume. Versus, you know, so I. Love physical books. Dude, I just, I have to give a shout. Oh, okay. I just got a book in the mail today. I also read War of Art for the first time, um, which was recommended by Seth, uh, Seth Godin, who has a great episode. We should podcast, or we should, we should podcast that. No, we should, we should show notes his episode with Tim Ferriss. It's super cool. I think I sent oh, that to you. Yeah. yeah. Um, sure. but, uh, he was talking about the War of Art, a Stephen Pressfield book. I, just bought that for three people. I literally just purchased that book and sent it to their addresses because I'm so passionate about this. It's just, awesome. it's so easy to read and it's so fucking helpful for you to think about doing your art and your work. Um, so I read that on vacation as well and I was so happy I did. Uh, but I just got, uh, I haven't started it, but I got in the mail today, Egghead uh, or You Can't Survive on Ideas Alone, which is the Bo Burnham book. Um, oh, I'm super cool. excited to check that out. Oh, dude, uh, I'm sure we'll probably shout this out when it's available, but Nora, a friend of the show, Nora uh, McInerney Permort, episode 21, I think, something like that. That's a pretty good 19, guess. 21, something like that. She has a book coming out. What is it? Um, it's Okay to Cry and Laughing is Cool Too, I believe. I'm really... We'll show really, us that. Yeah, we, we will. Um, uh, but I also just ordered this book from Japan. It will be here probably at least a couple weeks, but it's a photo book called Colors, by this photographer named Yoshinori Mizutani. Maybe we'll show us that too. It's so fucking cool. Dude, I haven't been this excited to like get a physical thing in a while. Wow. Dude, well, I mean, we'll flip right, there is, right there is an illustration, pardon the pun again, <laughs> of uh, why sometimes there is no argument. Tactile, real books are just superior sometimes. Uh, like a, a book of imagery like that where the print and the 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 physical manifestation is just as much a bit of the artist, the actual content. Especially as an artist, you crave that. I mean, it, yes. with so much digital, like having my show in a physical space and getting to experience it with people, so fucking gratifying. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, man. Okay, so, Vinny, what about you? I actually don't know. I'm a bit saying. of a heretic in this, Interesting. Uh, in this conversation. I think I, I would be... Maybe it's an incorrect or naive point of view, but I think a lot of it comes from the fact that I have spent a lot of years not reading very much at all. And so when I kind of rediscovered my love of reading, I was unfettered by tradition that existed pre-ebook. Mm -hmm. uh, so I didn't have any sort of like nostalgic momentum carrying me to get physical books. I think physical books, by and large, I, I appreciate the smell of an old bookstore and that's, this isn't like some sort of patronizing point of view. I truly do. I understand the magic of holding a book, of feeling the pages, of appreciating the cover art. All of that is true. I can't stand like buying, renting physical books. It The inefficiencies yeah. to me are – it's hard to – it is often hard to hold the book comfortably even. Even something as simple as that to sit or lay comfortably and read it. E-reader, I can change the size, the brightness. I can tap to look up words, which is sometimes really useful, especially if you're a sci-fi fiction reader like myself and your authors like to use self-congratulating 
like yeah. archaic terms all the time that you don't even know. The 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 whole you know like the act of consuming is so seamless that I really really enjoy it over physical books. I mean, it reminds me of like how I've been approaching music, which is I can't fucking play a thing, but I can create it on the computer, mm-hmm. and and I'm not twisted about the idea of it not being real music. And honestly, Vince, this is a great way to talk back into appeal, which the difference that you and I have on ebooks versus physical books is purely it's personal. It's personal, and yep. the point is. It's about maximizing. Uh, I kind of don't like the term maximizing because it like implies like like hyper capitalism or something. But <laughs> right. but but it, 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 it's about reaching depth, reaching depth that you wouldn't otherwise. And it's you know why maybe buying a record and playing vinyl is more valuable. It's not about being caught up in the old way of doing things, but it is about understanding who you are what what you need to do to get into the headspace to fully immerse and enjoy. And if that's buying a physical book, please, God, buy a physical book. Because really, a lot of this, even what we're talking about, is about just depth. It's about reaching depth. And if, if that means uh, you don't pander, if that means you need to do X or Y or whatever, maybe making mainstream things is what gives you depth. Maybe that's what gives you the highest form of uh, happiness or engagement or whatever. It's about being engaged in the things you're doing. And so I think it's really, again, a self-awareness and you know maybe self-definition thing of tapping into what, what is it that you need out of this? What are you trying to get out of it? What, but, but then also being open to what you could get out of it if you yeah. changed your approach, evolved your approach. I, I agree a hundred percent, and that's true of both artist and audience. And I you don't, say. and you don't have to commit across the board. Just because right. I shoot film, I, like I was just saying, I am so far from purist with music or like a video. And like, please God, let's shoot digital. Let's maximize. Let's be efficient. But when it comes to photo stuff, I'm not going for efficiency. I'm going for experience. And so, I, just like understand that for you, for what you're trying to get out of the things, I think gives you a better sense of when you need to. Uh, put your foot down and like really stand by your principles or your values with that or when you need to like get the fuck over it and like <laughs> get to the end game the goal <laughs> yeah I, I I mean I completely agree and that is I mean pretty fitting is some last thoughts but before we maybe canonize that uh, <laughs> can we let's take a quick second just to be you know self-congratulating or self uh, maybe just self-centered yeah and talk <laughs> about how people who appreciate what we do can support us. Totally, man. I mean, we don't really have big asks of people. We kind of never have. We don't even. Have, we don't have the ability to even donate or anything. We're not asking for that. It's. Uh, we really appreciate when people are listening. I think uh, probably a good way to deeper get get more engaged with us would be sign up for the newsletter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a subscribe on the website 10khrs.co, um, and follow us on Twitter. I mean. Facebook too, but we don't really fucking care about that. Twitter is a more interesting place, and uh, then ultimately, you know, of course, you know, rate us on iTunes, whatever, whatever. But really, just like share share the show too with someone who maybe could get some value out of it. I think even and share with us, like please, yeah, let us know, let us know you're listening. Even even if sometimes we're meandering and all over the place, 
I think what you and I are trying to accomplish, and I actually we are accomplishing, Vince, is we we try and be real and open and thoughtful and have candid conversations. And I think ultimately that leads to hopefully potential value for people. I mean, this is a lot like what we're talking about. It, we, as let's say this is our art, it is an art form for us. We are trying to bear a little bit of our souls here in the hopes that others will, will glean something from it. And, um, just keep that in mind. And, you know, if you like that support it, please. Perfectly said, man. Um, with that in mind, like, what are we, what are we trying to leave people with? What what would we want them to take away from this, you know, time I, on the show? I kind of want to pose that question to you, Vin. I feel like I've been riffing quite a bit and I got caught up in my head a little bit here. I, you know, I think that's what happens on some of these hostfuls is like, honestly, that's my favorite part of the hostful. Sick. Uh, but it's just get, I'm just like, oh, so much. Oh, wow. What does this mean? What does this mean? And we don't sort of have that third piece of the triangle to bounce it off of. And it just it causes some reflection, some, some and thoughts. I think yeah. a lot of times we appreciate what the guest has to say so much that we just want to learn about them. And we don't quite get as echoey and interested in back and forth on the topic as we, as we might otherwise, which is obviously fine. Yeah. But that's, that's why I love Hostful so much is that it feels like just a, one of those conversations we had while we were hitting the West Coast in the car in the uh, Malibu, just talking endlessly boo. about shit. Man, that was a that was a treat. Let's do that again. Yeah, I guess if I was to leave people with something, I I guess it's just um, man, I just I've been thinking about these themes a lot, and I was talking with someone um, very recently, and she was. What I what I told her was this was like a funny response to me. Even I understand it, but I was like, "Hey, like, uh, I, oh, you know, what, it was somebody I've shot with who's also a photographer. She's a model. She's fantastic. Like, she's really grinding, and I just appreciate all the work she's putting in. You know, and I I really appreciate in general a model who is also a photographer because that to me is is uh, reaching new depths and that gives more context to the modeling, gives more context to the photography. It's just sort of more encompassing and and deeper. So I really appreciate that. And I said, uh, she asked me about like posting a photo or something and I was like, yeah, yeah, go for it. And like, I'm proud of you. Like you're doing really good. Like I'm, I know we're just interneting recently, but like I see you out here hustling and, and I respect that. She was like, yeah, it's like, it's, it's like, I'm sort of disappointed. I wish I was like going better. Like I want a gig or a full-time gig. Cause I, I was just telling her like, don't get too, well, cause she's like started to be negative and I was saying, don't get too caught up in like achievement here. Like you're doing the work. Like that's, mm. that's what matters. You're doing the work. That's almost all that matters. And honestly, war of art will, will reinforce that idea or, uh, but, uh, and she was like, well, yeah, I just want a photo gig or something, or I want a full-time gig. And I, she said she wanted to be photography. And I was just like, I don't think you, I, yeah, that's just kind of like a validation or like, that's uh, a classic, like I'll be happy when, or if this and that. And I don't think you need to make it your, your gig. Why do you need to do that? Like, what are you really after? Are you after like, uh, complimentary things? Like, as in, could you find something that feeds part of your craft without making it the focus of it? Or, or at least maybe not yet. Do you don't need to ramp up? This is just the classic like scale issue. Everyone's so insecure about like making it being legitimate. And I just think you don't need to fully fucking be that thing. I think you can be multiple things. You can let things develop and you don't have to go all in on making this your entire life and be it's a lot of this man is just about like 
reflection and patience is the appeal is is tapping into like what's important to you and separating yourself from what i think are potentially destructive metrics of happiness and success which is the opinions of other people always there's value in it but like let it develop be calm it's okay you'll be all right i I, that's that parlays perfectly into you know what i'm really thinking has revealed itself to me at the end of this conversation which is that it really is about patience. It's about perspective. It's about understanding that just like you need to be active in your inward, reflective creation of craft, you have to be very judicious with how you receive feedback. And if feedback is inherently, if you have the right perspective, only a net gain mm-hmm. because you can always choose to ignore it. You are just getting more information than you started with. But learning how to actually effectively and constructively and positively use that feedback is where you're going to find real improvement. And I think that's something that it's it's not really intuitive or easy to do because we're we're really eager to please as creators. I think that's kind of a natural failing and strength of ours Ooh. is that we we like people to like what we do because we like what we do. Exactly. Uh, so I, I just think don't get hung up on it. Don't throw it out wholesale. And like you said, Grant, be patient and the insight will come from it. Dude, can I just say that it's actually a huge opportunity. It, in, in And let me just frame it this way. In the in the same vein where when I started thinking about like doing the work and like sharing and being active and accessible and things like that, uh, Seth really reframed my perspective in t- in putting it in the terms of if you have something to share with the world, it is selfish to hold that in. Okay, so now my perspective on sharing and, and being and creating whatever is completely reframed. I'm like, I, I give myself permission to let go of like feeling egotistical or narcissistic to a degree. In the same way, I think a way to think about um, appeal and artistic development is a lot of people like wish or it seems like they wish they were that like child star or that person who blew up when they were 19 or 20. There's these like feelings of insecurity around like not doing enough, not being enough. But mm. dude, the opportunity to develop your style, your opinion, your your taste, your aesthetic without that scrutiny is fucking incredible and not overly committing yourself to the screen. I think at a certain point there is value in committing and being and finding that niche, whatever. But like this is the time to play, the time to develop. You don't have to like run ahead of yourself here and and like seek that validation. Just go play. This is fucking great. <laughs> and that's true. That's truly motivation, right? It's it's enjoy what you're doing. First and foremost, boiled down to its simplest form. Enjoy it. The rest will come. Hell yeah! Wow, <sighs> that was fun, Grant. I love hostfuls. You what know what? Fuck guests from now fuck, on. Fuck guests, Vince. Wow. Uh, I want. <laughs> I just want a soundbite of that to just play over and over. <laughs> just you saying, you know what? Fuck guests for now, because you're uh, you're sort of less apt to swearing. I'm a little bit more loose lipped, so it's just great to hear the f word come fly, <laughs> flying out of your mouth. Man, can we uh, can we put a bow on this one? Let's do it, man. One, two, three. Ship, Ship it. it. Ship it.